Well, good evening and welcome to Steadfast. I am so glad to be with you once again as we continue our series, The Generations of Man. Last week, we began this series looking at the turning point. We had been looking in Genesis 4 previously in our last series, thinking about how sin degrades the world and uses even the good gifts that God gives us to, to misdirect us. Then we come to the end of chapter 4 and into chapter 5, where we are now, and we see a turning point, a turning point where Seth, the the brother of Abel and of Cain, who's born after Abel is murdered, comes into the picture. And we're told in this, in this emergence of a third man whose lineage we're going to follow, that he is in the image of Adam, his father, and that Adam is in the image of God. So we have image language. We looked at that passage that refers to that last week, but we're going to come back to it this week and think specifically about what does it mean to say that about images. We mean lots of things by images. It could be something as simple as saying, well, I have a photo library on my phone and it has lots of images in it. And that means I've taken a lot of pictures. And I do. I have over 200,000 pictures I've taken in my image library. Or we might refer to imaging systems, which is a high highfalutin way of saying a copy machine. Remember when copy machines were still a little bit more novel and, and We'd go down when I was growing up to the little office supply store, Wilcoxon, because we needed a, a copy of something. You'd go in and they had this whole area dedicated to copy machines because people didn't have multifunction printer, scanner, faxes in their homes. And so if you had a document and you needed to copy it, and of course that was more necessary when we used more paper, it was a big deal. You went down there and you paid five cents or 10 cents per black and white copy, or I think it was 25 cents for a color copy. It was a big deal that you could put this piece of paper on this flatbed scanner and out came a copy. Now, sometimes I think when we hear image in the Bible, we're thinking the same thing. And so we read this and, and it confuses us. We already know that, that scripture has said that Adam is made in God's image, but it doesn't seem like he's acting very much like God. What does it mean? Is God really just making photocopies of himself? And if so, then why is everything so broken? Well, we need to understand that. That's something that we need to wrestle with. And as we wrestle with that, we understand both the hope and the problem that all of us face. So let's go ahead and pray that our God would help us to do that. And then we'll jump in tonight. Will you join me? Father, we thank you that you are the creator of all things, that everything good that we enjoy in this world is a gift from you. And as we explore those gifts, as we explore how you work, would you help us to see what you are calling us to be and to do, to recognize how your image is in us, and how to show it, how to be those who, who cry out with our lives the beauty of your image and don't obscure it by our sin. We pray this in Jesus' name. So let's just start from the starting point that as the author of Genesis says, Moses is writing this down. He's not thinking of those days of going into an office supply store when a copy machine was exciting. And he's not thinking about the multifunction device in your house, nor is he thinking of a photo library. There's some truth to those things, right? Because we use that word image is different, but we're also referring to similar things, but it's not the same. What we do see in scripture is that God gave us something of his being, something of the way that he is as he made us. And we're going to explore that, but it's not the way that we often think. 
For example, it's not that we physically look like that's really important. And we're going to see very clearly that, that can't be the case as we look at the beginning of this passage. Once again, chapter five, take a look with me. It says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Made him in the likeness of God. So God makes Adam and, and we're told that he's made in the likeness of his creator. But what we're not supposed to think there is, oh, if you'd walked into the Garden of Eden, if you'd encountered Adam right after God made him, you would have said, well, which one's God and which one's Adam? It wouldn't have been that kind of image. It wasn't a perfect copy in that sense. It certainly wasn't about the physical nature of Adam. Rather, we find that it's about something that's intrinsic to whom it is that God is and whom it is that we are that isn't physical. We can see this, for example, as this passage says, again, take a look, just pull this right back up if you're on your your computerized Bible or take a look in your paper Bible and just peek into verse two that we're going to get into further in a moment. It says, he created them male and female. We'll stop there for a moment. We don't expect as we read this that Adam and Eve looked identical. They weren't even identical twins that have almost identical twins rather they were totally separate people and we expect that you would have been able to tell that eve was a woman that adam was a man that this was not hard to figure out and that thus when it says that they were both made in the image of god that there's something that we can say very clearly neither of them looked like god they looked like themselves adam looked like adam eve looked like eve just like all of us have our own individual physical look that's not the sort of thing that's in play here. Rather, it's referring to, to whom it is that we are. What does it mean to truly be human? And people have wrestled a lot with the exact nature of the image of God, whether it's our relational nature that we relate to each other. And part of that seems to be hinted at here that God made both male and female. God doesn't intend human beings to be alone. He doesn't intend Adam to be the sole human being that categorizes the world. No, he intends a whole community of human beings. We, we see some of the brokenness of that in the last chapter, for example, as Cain fears other human beings. There's a relational aspect clearly to it. And in that, there's a aspect of God's love. We are called to be loving to each other and to God to, to show that aspect of relationship. And clearly, clearly, that is reflecting God. I also believe, and we can see this here as well, that part of that image is creativity. Part of that this image is the desire to create things and to see those things move forward beyond us. And, and we see that in God creating a world. Now, the world can't move beyond God, but God desires to create. He doesn't need to. There's no reason that God needed to make a physical world or, or make people to dwell on it. Or he could have made a physical world without people, just creatures milling about that, that weren't in his image. But God does because he wants to have a fellow co-creator, so to speak. Not because we can create at the same level, but God makes people who create things. When we look at human culture and, and all the things that are created, the things that back in chapter four, like music and technology, for example, we create things. And then we pass that along from generation to generation. And, and that's what we see being pictured just as a beginning right here, as we see Adam and Eve and Seth. So as, as we think about that, we get 
maybe not the answer to exactly what the image of God is, but we see sort of in this, this constellation of different things, what is captured in being human that relates to whom it is that God is. It's not a physical manifestation, something more. And, and in all those aspects, I've already mentioned love, but if you think about it, all of them have to do with love. Because what does God do? He creates a people whom he loves. He creates a people to love each other, to have relationship with each other because he loves them and wants us to benefit from that same relational aspect that God has in himself. C.S. Lewis mentioned that that God in himself, in the Trinity, is in an eternal relationship with himself, that the three persons of the Trinity have this beautiful dance, so to speak, together. Here's one God and three persons, always in relationship. So what does God do as he creates human beings? He creates Adam, recognizes it's not good for Adam to be alone, creates Eve, and sets off humanity to be in constant relationship with one another. We think about what Jesus prays for the church. It's that we would be one, that we would be in relationship with each other. And so when we think about being human, that's so core, and right in that is love. In creativity also is love. Why would God make us creative and not just make us robots that, that just kind of go down a track and do some stuff? Could be kind of neat, but why does God do more? I believe it's because he loves us and he wants us to have the delight of taking part in the things that are pleasing to him, that we get to create things, that we get to see beauty in the world and then seek to manifest that beauty, whether it's an art or music or writing or, or whatever it might be that you're gifted to do, that all of us in some way create. And in that, we're experiencing part of whom it is that God is and, and experiencing his love in that. So it keeps coming back to love. God gives us what's important to him. And, and so as we look at how it is that as in scripture, we parallel God, it should be a magnifying glass to the things God cares about. We often think that what God cares about, for example, well, we're going to go seek to obtain power or, or fame or wealth. And does God have power? Yes. But note, God doesn't create us to, to be powerful. He creates us to relate. God doesn't command us to, to have power over other people. He commands us to love them. And so as we see the things that God's actually saying, here are the things that I want you to do. And the things that we realize intrinsically we need people to do towards us because that's whom it is that we are. We start to see, oh, that's the image of God. That's the sort of thing that God prioritizes and thus is prioritizing for us as well as we live. Sort of like if you think about, we probably all had this experience, but I'll confess I'm bad at it. I'm way behind on the things that people give me to read. Sometimes it's a book, and, and I, I sometimes feel really guilty. Someone lends me a book, and I think, oh, no, I have all the stuff I need to read. I'm not sure when I'm going to get to it, but now I'm also going to feel guilty because I have this person's book, and I need to get back to them. Sometimes it's an electronic document. Then at least I don't have that, that guilt. I'm hanging on to their thing that they're waiting for, but I still know I need to read this because it was important to the person who gave it to me, and I, I need to read it so I can can respond to it. I need to read it so I can benefit from whatever they thought was good that, that they wanted me to experience. And, and haven't we all had that experience? Something that someone's really excited about, because that's what you share with other people, right? You don't generally share something with someone because you think it's so boring and uninteresting. Unless you think it's really 
fascinating how boring and uninteresting it is, in which case it's not really about it being boring and uninteresting. It's about your amusement at that. So we share things that are important to us. And I think that's something that we need to understand about God's image in us. God shares with us the thing that he finds important. God shares the things in general that he finds important, that he wants us to value as well. And and too often we're so busy chasing after the things we think are important that we never pick up the book from the stack of books that we're just too far behind on. We we don't go through that, that, that reading list that we formed on our computer and get to that article or, or that, that fascinating video that someone shared with us because we're just too busy. But here it is. God's the one that shared it with us. And he's saying, you might want to set that other stuff aside and read the thing that I've given you because it's really, really important. Pick up God's word and we really read it. We don't just kind of autopilot through it, but we read it. This is the stuff that we see over and over and over again. So it comes down to a question. And that question is, something that we're challenged with when we really wrestle with what God gives us, what he says is important. That's what do we do with it? How do we take this image and do what God wants us to do with it? Because he didn't give it to Adam and Eve just so they'd hold on to it. He gave it to them to share. That's what we see if we go on to verse 2 once again. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. So, what do we see there? Well, he gives them the image, and and he wants them to have it, and he blesses them with it, and he names them. But then he's going to expect them to do something with it. Notice what goes on in verse 3. When Adam was 130 years old, he became the father of a son who was just like him, in his very image. He named his son Seth. After the birth of Seth, Seth, Adam lived another 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Adam lived 930 years, and then he died. We're not told much about what Adam does. We're not told what kind of work he did. We're not told if he liked to entertain himself by playing games. That He, he was the first one to, to create baseball or something like that. We're not told that kind of thing. What are we told? Well, we're told that Seth was in Adam's image and that he had other sons and daughters. And in that, we get a picture of what Adam's doing that's important, which is that he's passing on something that God's given to him. Now, there's different ways that we could look at this. And it isn't merely that he's had a son. Certainly, he had a son with with Cain. But Cain, though in some sense we could say is in Adam's image, Cain goes against what even Adam knows is good. Now, Adam was a sinner, but he's not passing along the best of what he knows about his relationship with God. With Seth, we see something different. With Seth, as we'll learn as we go through chapter 5, Seth was another sinful person. Seth isn't really of a great deal of consequence as far as the story goes, specifically in what he did. But in Seth's line, we see at least a tinge of righteousness, at least a tinge of love of God. And we mentioned last week how as Seth emerges on the storyline, what do we see? That his descendants call on the name of the Lord. They, they start to relate back to God and show at least something of love towards God. And so when we read that Adam had a son in his image, I think part of that is speaking about the holistic picture of Adam and his relationship with his son that leads to Seth mirroring what Adam still knows is good about the garden. 
that Adam knows that even as he struggles to hold on to his humanity, because he's now corrupted by sin, he knows something of what was before that sin. And it seems as though maybe he passes on a little bit of that experience to his son, and that Seth imbibes that. Seth holds on to that. I believe that goes to that question of what we do with our image. Because while we're not told the specifics of how Adam relayed the stories of the garden to Seth, or how much detail he went into, or, or all the things that have been lost since then that we don't know about the garden, but maybe Seth did, what we do know in this line is that there's a, a group of people follow the Lord. That Adam said something about this God who used to walk in the garden with himself and with his wife Eve, with Seth's mother, and, and, and how wonderful that was, and how he should be remembered, and how he loves. I think those are the things that would have been communicated from father to son when we're told that Seth is in Adam's image. And so as Adam would look at his son as he grew up, and Adam, because he lives a very long time, has a lot of time to watch Seth and watch the generations after Seth. Adam could look at Seth and say, here's someone, here's someone of my own flesh who has gone on and actually is still reflecting some of those things I know are important. That's a challenge for all of us. Are we helping people? We don't even have to be related to them. Are we helping the people that God places in our lives to show more of the image of God? Because I think all of us also know people that we run across that 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 we didn't have in our family necessarily. Some of you come from wonderful families and, and praise God for that. Some of you, your family situation was much more difficult. But all of us know people that God brought into our lives who helped us show a little bit more of his image, to show a little bit more of his love, to show a little bit more of his creativity. And so that should remind us that being one who passes on an image is more than genetics. It's about actually passing along God's love. And we all can do that to the people around us. We get to be co-creators and not just in the sense that we come up with an innovation or a picture. We get to be co-creators because we get as each successive generation to help shape the generations following. And even the people around us, not necessarily in linear progression, but the next spiritual generation, maybe the person's older than us or, or the same age as us, but they're newer to understanding who God is or they haven't met him at all. But we get to be an aspect that God uses of that person starting to be conformed to his image. We share about God's love. We, we talk about the hope that we have in him. We, we help that person study God's word. And in that, we are getting to be a co-creator not on an equal plane with God by any means. We're not that photocopied image of God where we're basically God, just the copy of him. But we get to actually take part in some of the joy of being a creator, even though it's God who ultimately, he's the one that makes everything. And in that, we're reminded that we have purpose, that, that the love that God shows in, in giving his image is... A, a love that enables purpose, a, a love that allows us to take delight in purpose. We need purpose. And so even as we go and we share that love, we're actually being reminded once again of what we were saying before, that God shares his love with us. And so what we should seek to do in our own lives is reflect that as much as possible to pray, Holy Spirit, help me. This, this is something that we need to challenge ourselves on. If we're just dialing it in and we're not really doing anything, in our lives. We just are trying to get through, and sometimes we're at that point, but 
but we shouldn't be willing to settle there and think, well, I, I, I don't really need to share my faith. I'm just going to try to be a reasonably good person, not hurt anyone. If anyone asks me any questions, I'll say I'm a believer and just leave it at that. No, God actually wants us to take part in the creativity of seeing people come to life, to, to be used by his Holy Spirit to share his faith. And, and then just outright creativity too, to create beautiful things with whatever skill we have, whether that's a spreadsheet that works beautifully in keeping numbers actually aligned in a way that, that keeps people from stealing money or, or misaccounting for money, or what we normally think of as art. Maybe you're an artist and you paint a beautiful painting that's pleasing to God. All of that should reflect something of who God is, which then brings us back to that co-creation of the next spiritual generation that, that we get to share that image. Because when someone sees a beautiful piece of art that's made by someone who believes and, and inquires about it or studies it, they start to see and maybe feel a bit of an ache. Very much again like C.S. Lewis, he saw beautiful things and felt an ache for restoration. Sometimes that's how we do it. Sometimes it's very direct. We just share what, what we know about God. We answer questions. We're patient with people. We pray for them. There's all kinds of different ways. But the key thing is we play a part in following what God has done for us and sharing it with others. And in that, we experience the image of God. And that's what we see. That's what we see with Adam. Now, there's a dark side to Adam passing along his image, unlike God giving Adam God's image. Adam doesn't give pure, unharmed, untainted, uncorrupted image of God to his son Seth. No, both genetically and intellectually, what's Adam passing along? He's passing along a corrupt nature, a sinful nature. And so Seth is going to be a sinner, just like Adam. And when we interact with people, we too are going to pass along both the good and the bad. We're not going to avoid that entirely. I wish we could. I wish I could. I wish you could. But we can't. We are going to show both the good and the bad. Here's the thing, though. It doesn't negate the fact that God calls us to do it. What we do is we ask for his help that we do it as well as we possibly can. Confronted with our position, just like Eve was in the previous chapter, what we need to do is be reliant on God. We we talked last week about at the beginning of chapter 4, Eve sees herself essentially as equal with God. With God, I have created a man, she says. What does she say at the end? God appointed this man for me. As she looks at her, her son Seth, she, she sees that God's really the one acting, but God's allowed her to play a part. And when we see that too, when we understand that as well, it changes everything, and then we can go and fulfill the mission. That's why God calls us to do just that. Take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. That's the commands of God. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. We're asking what God cares about, what he wants us to do. He wants us to relay who he is to other people through everything we do, in everything we do. Notice that that listing there. It's not just when you have Sunday school or when you have church or when you have devotional quiet time in the morning. No, every day, all the time, when you're walking, when you're talking, when you're sleeping, everything we do, we should try to do it to the glory of God with the hope that, that those around us experience him in it. I'm not going to do it any more perfectly than Adam and Eve did, but God knows that and he still commands us to do it because he will take that imperfect copy, that, that corrupted image that 
that paper that has some details about God, but it's gotten fuzzy like it does when you run it through a copy machine too many times. And he's going to take that and help the people to see the stuff that's artifacts and what's the actual wording on the page so they can start to be pulled towards him as well. But he gives us the joy. And this should, friends, this, this is something that we're supposed to feel like is, is a genuine joy. He gives us the joy of actually being a part of that as we are image bearers and as we pass down an image, just like we read Adam did. It's so, so important that we get all the details right on what God's called us to do. And again, a lot of times we get focused on things that the world says are important. And we say, well, I'm going to make sure that these things happen because I care about the next generation. How often do we hear that in our political rhetoric? You can listen right now to whomever's running on either side of the political aisle, and they're going to be talking about, and we need to take care of the next generation, and we need to make sure that they have the values that we know are important. And here's the thing I can say decisively is that all too often, what's at the top of that list, 100% of the time, I'll, I'll say even, when we're really listening to just pure political speech, it's not about passing along the love of God and truly experiencing God as he is. It's about this reshaped, idolatrous picture of God that suits the politician's picture. And may we not do that. That's not what's of value to God. And when we start to get off on those roads, when we get off on the roads that that, that the world says are going to lead us to happiness, and we think that we'll pass that down to the next generation, it's not going to do it. What's going to do it is actually passing along God's love and his care, his love of justice and truth, the things that we find where? Well, in the book he's given us to read that too often is sitting there waiting for us. When when we fail to do that, bad things happen, even when we have a, a good goal in mind. And that's where we need to keep in mind that scripture never says the ends justify the means. And, and frankly, in, in our society, we really don't think the ends justify the means usually either. I was reading the story of Isaiah Walker of Lawton, Oklahoma. He had found himself on the wrong side of the law, found himself in prison, but he'd completed his prison sentence, been released from prison, and as we learn, Isaiah is a truck driver. Isaiah is a man who apparently is skilled in driving semis full of automobiles, or something like that, at least. Here's a picture of the truck that he drove. I, I need to tell you a little bit more of this story because as you can see, it is a truck full of cars. The problem is it's not a truck full of cars he was asked to drive. Rather, Isaiah had a good goal in mind. I don't know if he was a truck driver previously or not, but he had a good goal in mind, which is he wanted to get home and he had no way to get there. So what did he do? Well, he befriended a truck driver driving this car carrier at a truck stop and then stole the truck full of cars with the goal of getting home. So yes, he was a driver of a truck with cars, and we could say, well, isn't that an important thing he's doing? But it's not because the ends don't justify the means, right? He wasn't supposed to be driving a truck full of cars. And the fact that he wasn't really even looking to steal the cars doesn't magically excuse the problem. He still stole a truck full of cars. He should have called an Uber or something. He shouldn't have done what he did. Clearly, now he's committed a crime again, and I'm sure he'll end up back in prison. This is not the way to do it. But when we know that's ridiculous, don't we do the same thing? And we say, but look, I'm transporting cars. I am a, a truck driver driving a truck full of cars. I'm doing something productive. And we miss the fact, well, we just hijacked that truck. It's not supposed to be driven by us. Or I'm just trying to get home. 
Isn't that okay? Well, no, you just stole a truck full of cars to do it. That's not okay. And when we lose sight of the actual image of God and we just try to think of things that seem important to pass along, that we are going to pass along to the people in our lives, whether it's the people that we share a church with, whether it's the people in your family or at work, too often, too often we get so busy focused on, well, I need to get home or I need to do something productive that we hijack a truck. And as we do that, we're actually defeating the purpose because we're not reflecting God as we do it. So how do we really get home? Well, I think it really comes down to the simple matter that we need to pass along the things that God cares about. We read his word, we imbibe what he actually cares about. And then we're focused on that and not building ourselves an empire or the people that we lift up in our society an empire. We want to build God's kingdom, God's kingdom alone. Just as we heard last night in our Sunday sermon from Jim. Take a look at Ephesians 5, 3 to 5. Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. In that, we, we, we see exactly how God works. He made us. As we look at this genealogy of the history of humanity, what are we told? Well, yes, Adam and, and the successive generations, that as they, they have children and those children go on to have children, we see generation after generation until we get to here, they're passing down an image. But first and foremost is the image from God. God's the one who gave an image to pass down. And so God's the one whom it is that we should care about. And notably, what does God do? He takes that broken image that we have and he fixes it. That's what's described in Ephesians chapter 1 when you really think about it. Because what does God do? In a sense, God is Adam's father, not in a normal biological way, but because he actually formed him from the dust of the earth. That Adam was receiving life from the very breath of God. But in sin, he was separated from God. But in Jesus, as Jesus comes into the world and lives the perfect human life, we see a restoration of that as all of us, as those descendants of Adam, are given the opportunity to be adopted into God's family and then to have that close relationship God always intended for us. When we think about the beauty of that restoration, shouldn't it give us all the more reason to want to experience the joy of being co-creators of the next spiritual generation, of not doing it on our own. We can't do it on our own any more than Eve could. We can't do it on our own any more than anyone who's attempted to over time can. But with God's help, with his spirit working in us, we can actually bear his image. We can show his image and allow other people to dust off that image, to take off the corruption and to be adopted back into the family of God to experience really where they ought to be. When we think about why are we here? What does it mean to be human? To be human means to be in relationship to God and to each other, and we help each other to do that as we worship him and help others to worship him. Would you pray with me? Father, too often we get confused on what the image of God is and, and how we, we live that out in our lives, but would you help us to be those who truly show your image, who truly 
set aside our, our own pursuits and the pursuits the world says are important and instead are those who who see the beauty and the wonder of being co-creators in a spiritual culture not in in the kingdom of this world and, and the the passing moments of victory there but but something so much more enduring and beautiful. Lord, will you help us to see the worth that you have instilled in us and the love that you've given us, and that as we do that, that then we would know, well, this is what I need to do then. I need to share with others that they could also experience the joy of seeing your image in each of us. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Hope this was an encouragement to you. And if it was, I would be so grateful if you would do me a favor. You take your phone or your computer that you're using and you would go and tap that share button. Because as you do that and you share it with others, as you copy the link and you you email it off, as you text it off, as you follow our, our different social media channels and, and regularly interact with our materials, you're helping to get other people to hear about the good news of who our God is and, and, and how much he loves us. So thank you for doing that. Also, if you have any prayers or questions, if you're wrestling with this or wondering how it might apply to your life or or just something totally unrelated, you can, of course, always leave a comment or prayer request in the comments below, or you'll see on screen our texting line. It would be great to hear from you on that as well. And as you do, we will have a great joy and honor, the very joy we're talking about here of helping each other, of co-creating together with the work of the Holy Spirit, the, the kingdom of God. Because what happens when we pray for each other and we wrestle through things together? Well, I might not have all the answers. You might not have all the answers. But as we come together, God's Spirit works through us and he helps us to reflect more of his image to this world. So I look forward to hearing from you. And I hope you have a wonderful and blessed week. And I'll see you again next week. Mm-hmm.